Welcome to Looney Engineering, a Canadian software engineering podcast. I'm Chris Naismith, a senior engineer at Hopper. And I'm Andrew Clarkson, a junior software developer at Universe. So today, Andrew and I are going to mix it up a little bit. Instead of introducing you guys to a topic and talking about you know, our thoughts on it, we thought that we'd maybe mix it up and just talk about our side projects. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know, a little departure. I think it'll be fun. Hopefully everyone else thinks it will too, or else it'll just like flop. That's okay. Yeah. So <laughs> like usually, you know, everyone says that you need to have a side project. Uh, I don't think that you always need a side project on the go, but it's definitely a good opportunity to maybe work on something that's different than what you're doing at work. At least that's the way that I look at it. Yeah, that's exactly why I started working on some stuff too, to, uh, to just be coding more really is what it came down to. Yeah. What, what are you working on right now, Andrew? So right now I am on my second iteration of my auction project. So there is software out there for like real live auctioneers um, to put their auctions online, but this has become, especially during COVID, it became big business to set up auctions and rather than like throw stuff on eBay or put stuff on Kijiji, you'd actually like, hold an auction and it would have a start date and an end date and people could come and bid on it. And all told it is very similar to eBay, but rather than like throwing an item on there or 10 items or whatever, you'd build out a whole auction. So your auction might have like 50 items in it. Or when my family business does it, it might have like 200 items on it and people would come and they'd be able to bid on just my stuff in my auction but they also, when they come to pick it up, it's just one location. So they might buy 10 or 15 things, but they're still right. bought. So, yeah, I've seen this with like estate sales is usually pretty common for this. Exactly. Or um, another one is when you can you can buy like a pallet of return right. items from Amazon. Yep. And so you might have like, you could either buy a whole pallet or you could buy the individual items and then go to a location, pick it up. That's exactly it. So the idea compared to eBay is typically these are more local to you. You're going to go and pick the things up. So what I wanted to build was like a full end-to-end production scale uh, app and all the things that go on in between, the, the logging, the testing, the just learning a lot of things, especially setup and configuration. So what are you working on right now? Yeah, so uh, I have one main project on the go right now, which isn't very big, uh, but it's a scorekeeping app. And so during COVID, um, another couple that's in town with us when everything locked down and we're in Ontario. Um, so we had what was referred to as like a bubble system. You could only hang out with people that were in your bubble at one point. And so we played a fair amount of cards with our friends, um, various games, like mostly card games, you know, like Uno or um, sort of those types of things. And one of the things that I enjoy doing as someone that is obviously way more data focused than other people is I, I like to like keep the score and then be able to see like who's winning over time. Cause we were playing upwards of like maybe 10, 12 games a week. And so previously we had a little, uh, uh, it was actually a napkin where we had like a tally chart of who was currently in the lead and their dog ended up eating the napkin and lost <laughs> all of our all of our scorekeeping. Um, but what I like about this is even being able to see like who's winning at the beginning of the game and who actually like wins at the end. And like uh, I figured like at some point I could take that data and start doing like charting over time and like a bunch of nerdy nerdy like data stuff on it. Um, but 
Yeah. So I wanted to be able to have like scorekeeping and I found an app uh, that did it. And then I recently switched from Android to iPhone and there is no iPhone equivalent of the exact same app that I wanted. So I decided to recreate it myself. Um, and so far I'm like pretty close to feature parity and then I'll start being able to add additional stuff to it. Nice. So it sounds like yours is more to fill a need than it is specifically to learn something new. Oh, absolutely. I, I'd say it's a little mix mix of both. I, I did a little bit of like stuff I knew and stuff that I wanted to have an excuse to use. Uh, mm. But it was definitely one of those. I was very familiar about a specific subject. In this case, it was the app that I was using. Um, and I've used it as like a reference point. Nice. Um, and then... Uh, and then, yeah, it was to fulfill the need. So I turned it into a uh, web-based application instead of a native application. So that way I could access it on like my wife's phone or my phone or a tablet if I needed to, if something was like dead. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how I got into uh, working on that side project. That's interesting. Um, so that's kind of cool. You said that you were specifically replicating something you had before. And I know a lot of times the recommendation is like, build something new, build the thing that you want, all that sort of stuff. But it's okay to start it with like a clone of something. Like you're going to figure out exactly how that works. And then you can start adding the things that you want. And in your case, it was in order to make it work on a different platform. Absolutely. And like when I was working on this, like I built it using React on the front end, which I'm obviously already familiar with. No. Um, the actual application itself, I had played um, probably like 300 plus games, if not more, um, on this thing. So I was very familiar with how the functionality of the app had to work. The only thing that is actually different for me is the back end that it's using. So I decided to go with a technology called Supabase, which is like a open source uh, Firebase replacement. Mm -hmm. um, comes with like authentication and uh, data storage and stuff like that for free on their like base tier. So to me, I wanted, I obviously needed persistence, but I also didn't want to get into the fact of, I didn't want it to be locked to the device because I wanted to be able to move it from phone to phone or being able to like share data, um, stuff like that in, in the future. Now, did you do any authentication on this or is it just you log in and it's just your info anyways? Uh, you log in and that data is actually just yours. It's just your data. It's, it's not, it's not an application where people who are logged in get access to the same data. It is, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like tenant, uh, there is like a tenant, um, aspect to it. So you okay. can create your own, um, players for the games. Your own game list is unique to you. Um, so that way, you know, you could actually log into it and start keeping track of games if you wanted to without it affecting my data. Right. Okay. But is that actually like, is actually a login or is it just because it's on a different device? Oh, you actually have to log in. That's what I mean. Yeah. So you got Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So like I, I could log in on my phone um, and I could log in on my account on your phone and it would be the same data. Uh, right. Of course. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, a lot of things that people talk about is like goals for this. Obviously for you, the goal was to have a working app, something that, that fulfilled the, the need that you had, um, what would be other reasons people would want to, what, what other kind of goals would you have for a side project? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was definitely like fulfilling a need. Like I wanted to be able to score keep and I am finally at that ability to have a game that is able to score keep. Uh, it took a lot of like, um, boilerplate to get to that point. Um, 
but I'd say like another reason is just one, um, maybe, maybe you're like interested in understanding how to, uh, how like a technology works. So that's, let's say like, um, and this is usually the way that I, I recommend, like, is if you're super familiar with something, then build it in something that you're not. If you're unfamiliar with something, then build it in something that you are familiar with. Because if you don't know how something should work and you don't know the technology that you're building it with and you don't know how to, like, you have too many unknowns and it gets very frustrating very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd say, like, technology is a big one. If you're wanting to use a new framework or library, it's always a good excuse on a side project to do that, uh, which can also benefit you at work because maybe you have... It, it's too much risk to introduce a new framework or library um, at work. And so instead you do it on a side project and you're like, man, this would make my life at work so much easier if we use this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on the topic of goals, uh, something I touched on a little bit for mine is uh, I want to redo a, an app. It's something I actually want to build uh, that I want to build out and I'd like to get to production but also for learning. There's a lot of things that, especially as a junior developer, you don't get to touch on at work, especially if you're not doing more greenfield, more building things out, really depends on the company you're in. But in general, a junior is not going to get to work on those things. So in order to actually work on the configuration of things, how things are actually going to work together and not just making those adjustments in what's already there, I think that's a huge skill to start building that base layer of understanding of how things work and then it just makes it easier to work on the things. Yeah. And then another good reason to start a side project is money. You know, maybe maybe you're starting a side project because you're wanting to do a little bit of like, uh, you know, side hustle. Maybe you're building, maybe it's not even just a, um, in, in your case, like an auction site. Maybe it's an auction site as a service where you could, you know, create your own auction, um, like, place, you know, a a physical location that's selling uh, stuff on auction and being able to maybe you charge either the company that's using it or maybe you uh, take a commission on each sale, you know, whatever it be. Um, But that would be the perfect kind of thing. Or maybe it's just like maybe you throw a couple ads on it and you generate money through like AdSense. So, you know, you could spin up a side project with the intent of trying to monetize it in some sort of way. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways that you can monetize it. You touched uh, there at the beginning on exactly what my intent on this is, is to iterate over to the point where, okay, it works for me, it works for us, it works for this business, but I want to eventually make it so that other people can sign up to auction, other people can start their auctions. And when you're saying about having a uh, kind of an idea or making something of a clone of other, there's a lot of other businesses doing this sort of thing. So I kind of look to them for ideas like, oh, I can implement that. I can put in that. But the long term is, yeah, it's auction as a service. Exactly right. So Andrew, when you're working on this, like how do you end up like prioritizing what, like when to work on it? The when to work on it? Um, For me, somebody mentioned something interesting to me recently about um, prioritizing things. And I started looking at it like this. And that's not just the do everything all the time. I go to work and then... I come, I come home, I make dinner and I start working on this. Uh, I kind of start working on it more in like sprints on this as well. It's like, oh, I'm focused on my side project right now. And I'm focused on maybe a hobby thing and I'm focused on something else. So I, I come and go to it. But I usually put in uh, maybe two or three nights a week, a few hours and just keep iterating on things, keep building things. And that keeps it fresh. It's not just doing it all the time. 
I go back to it when I'm excited about it and when it's something that I want to do um, and just to keep moving forward on it. Yeah, that's something that I sometimes struggle with. Like I'm not very consistent on my side projects. I'll maybe go through, like maybe I have a weekend where I have a lot of time. And so I'll invest like, I don't know, 12 hours over the entire weekend working on my side project. And then come Monday morning, you know, I'm going back to work and I'm like, you know, I just sort of forget about that side project. I'm like, yeah, wasn't that great? It was really cool. Uh, nope, don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's that's kind of cool thing about side projects. It doesn't have to be, unless your intent is to build a business. If it's more to learn something, to build something, um, they can be super disposable. They can be just something that you fire up, you get going, you learn something, you, you do it again, and you do that over and over. It's a great way to learn. If it's going to be something that's actually a side hustle or a business, then you've kind of got to approach it with the, the like discipline that I'm going to sit down and do it regular. And, and that's what I do in like those sprints. It's like, okay, tonight I'm going to sit down for like three hours. I'm going to work on these things. I want to get this stuff done. Or sometimes it's, I'm going to sit down every day and I'm going to get something done. It might just be um, added authentication or researched uh, database or something really simple, but it's that that snowball, that building and building and building. And it lets me always be doing something and then keep track of it. So it's like, Hey, I am making progress. It's not just like, Oh, nothing's changed in a few weeks. Yeah. That's, that's something that I sort of do. And I think it, it depends on how um, you organize yourself. Mm. And for someone like myself, I'm not very much of like a big planner. Usually I have like, it's sort of scoped out in my head of like mm -hmm. what the scope of the project that I'm working on is before I get into it and then do it. Um, but if you are working on something for much longer where it's not going to be able to be done over the span of a weekend, you probably want to put down your thoughts into like some sort of way of tracking because then you can at least see your progress over time. Are you um, telling me you don't have a whole Jira Epic written out for your scorekeeping app? Uh, unfortunately, no. Wow. Um, yeah. I didn't think you for this kind of a person. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been measuring my velocity to see how much work I'm getting done on my side project. I, I'm going to need you to screen share so that I can see your, uh, the tickets that you completed. Yeah. My burnt down chart is just flat. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> you got to start making money soon. You got to get those 99 cent app downloads. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but Andrew, when you're like starting a project or just even during the project, like what sort of tools do you use for like managing your project? So this is the first side project that I've actually really laid out what I want to do an MVP. I have a whole notion doc that's full of pages of, ideas and screenshots and different things that I want to do. Um, I've actually laid it out. I didn't go so far as like setting up a Trello or a Jira kind of thing to like move things along. It's more of a, I need to do that. There's a checklist, check, check, check. And that's helped a lot in a few different ways. The actual moving on things isn't so bad. So I've always got in my head, okay, this is what I need to do next. And that's always kind of be, being worked through and mauled over in my head. But when on those times I'm like, oh, I feel like I haven't got much done. I can look back and be like, no, there's like 20 or 30 things checked off already. Like I'm making pretty good progress. And I try to do those very granular kind of atomic things. It's like, add this, add that, do these things. And it really helps you with that ongoing motivation. Yeah. When I do it, I try to probably have larger um, undefined tasks. And I think that that's just how I work. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, it might just be like, one of the examples that we have here is like Trello, right? I think yeah. we both used Trello before. 
Mm -hmm. um, I like it because it it's not as granular as Jira. You know, you're not making a concept of like epics and then having stories or tasks that, you know, as a user, I need to be able to do this. Like when I am working on a personal project, I just want to put down as sort of like loose notes as I can in order to target what I'm working on. So maybe I'll say like, um, in the case of like a scorekeeping app, right? I want, or ability to manage users. So that would be the ability to like create users, edit users, delete users. Um, maybe I would put in scope, like things that I want to purposefully ignore for right now. Mm. Like maybe I don't actually want to be able to delete users because if users are tied to a game, I don't want someone to delete a user after a game is tied to them. So maybe, you know, we're ignoring the aspect of deleting because we're planning on doing archiving instead. Um, so that that way they still show up for historical reasons than a straight, like hard delete. Um, but those are like sort of things that I'll do is I'm just like, you know, I want a concept of users. Boom. There you go. All right. I want a concept of games and then maybe, um, after games, like I've seen where people will do, uh, like numbers, like they have like a 0 0.9 and then a 1.0 and then a 1.1. Mm -hmm. And so implying that maybe not straight up to the point of having like blocking, but you can say like, before I accomplish 1.1, I need to do 1.0 first, which was something that I very much, as I mentioned earlier, I had a lot of boilerplate that I needed to set up before I could get to a game because a game had players and then uh, games had a certain like rule set about them. Um, so before I could actually like get to the point of having a bunch of numbers entered in and then figuring out the totals, I had so much that I had to set up in advance for that. Now you say a lot of boilerplate. Um, you said you built this in React. So I'm sure there's not a lot of learning there that was for you to do. Um, but what kind of, what kind of setup, what, what other tools did you use to get there? Yeah. So at first, um, I started with just, uh, react and I was using, um, I wasn't using any sort of like state management. Well, that's not okay. So I, I, I lie. I was about to say, I didn't use any state management. Um, I used react query, but what I was doing is I was actually using react query as an in memory cache. And so I would modify stuff on the window object using React Query with the intention that when I was ready to implement a backend, I should just be able to change it from using in-memory to using like an API. Gotcha. So I had enough foresight to know like, I'm gonna go down this road. And so I'm going to abstract that away rather than using like a fixtures file that's like hard-coded. Um, but I definitely started there. What about you, Andrew? What, what, what sort of like tools or, or boilerplate um, are you using on, on yours? Um, for this has kind of been as I go along, I, I had a few things that I wanted to learn and wanted to use. Like I wanted to build a project in Next. That was a big one for this. But as I went along and figured out um, uh, databases and that sort of thing, and like how I was going to deal with CSS, we're going to do CSS in JS or CSS modules and all this stuff, the kind of things that you've seen me ask at different times. Um, but right now, um, I've got Prisma set up to talk to a MySQL database. Um, Prisma's fantastic. Um, it, it's one that I haven't used before, and it, it's almost getting to the point where it makes it so easy it feels like cheating. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's something. Um, also, been using pusher channels because when you use Vercel, you can't use WebSockets. 
So that was something I learned along the way because the real-time updating is very important to this app. Yeah, because Vercel is not using a server, it's a using server. Um, like Lambda or like functions as a service. Mm -hmm. And so there is no like persistence. It's just, it spins up, it gives you what you need, it spins down. Right, exactly. Um, and then I want to learn more TypeScript, so this is going to be a TypeScript project, as well as one that I just did. And this is something I'm sure that should be done right at the beginning and next time will be. Um, I actually set up ESLint and Prettier to do the things that I want to do rather than just having this disaster. And it was pretty cool after I built this for a few weeks to hit the like format all. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, everything looks so much nicer. Why didn't I do this at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's fine to not have to do some of that like early tooling because it can start to be like, I, I will say at least for me when I'm working on a personal project, like it's it's no different than a product for customers at your work. Like you, you have to make sure that you're working towards your goal of what you're trying to make. And you're not focused on like the fluff of like, oh, this should be using tabs instead of spaces, or this should be tabbed at, you know, four spaces instead of two spaces or whatever it is. Like, is that going to like, if your end goal is to have something that's like usable or demoable or like, they don't care, right? Like none of that that's, matters. That, that's a really good point. You could probably get hung up in that minutia 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 of kind of all the little the little stuff there and that could actually hold you back from actually doing things what if you get caught up in something you can't figure it out and all of a sudden you're kind of like oh it's time to go to bed whereas maybe you could have gotten something done that got you excited about moving on it so that's a good point is uh implementing those things a little later on is probably just fine yeah um something that i had done when i was uh getting into this is although i've used plenty of react um, recently, I don't know if you're familiar, uh, React it was is no longer recommending create React app. And so part of their recommendations is if you're going to need some sort of like server, you should use Next.js. Or if you're just building a static application, you should use uh, Vite or Vite or Vite. I think it's Vite. Vite, because yeah. it's French for fast. Yeah. Um, and so... Uh, I actually spun this up using uh, Vite and it was pretty easy. There wasn't any sort of like extra documentation I had to, uh, to read for this. Um, but when I switched over or not completely switched, but I actually have now made this a hybrid application where there is a web component, but there is also React Native. And so trying to get React Native working in a mono repo, which it wasn't a mono repo to begin with, uh, is it required a little bit of extra configuration out of the box, uh, which I was thankful. Again, the documentation covered it on things that you had to change. But it was interesting trying to be like, all right, I move this folder here. Oh, it breaks. Um, okay, I move this here. Oh, that this is broken now. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of like, a lot of uh, maybe not a lot. Um, there was there was some hours that I spent um, trying to take what was just a single repo that was just a static web application using uh, Vite. Um, the <laughs> see, yeah, um, into a mono repo where I had two applications, and at some point I'm going to abstract it where the applications are using shared packages between them. Oh, okay. I'm looking this up. Vite. Yeah, it's Vite. All right, it's Vite. 
Okay, no, I, I, I like what you touched on there about how React is suggesting that you use different packages now than create React app. And so many of us that have only been learning React over the last year to several years, um, especially if we haven't been like adding into a project, doing the whole Webpack thing, create React app is how we've done it. And that's kind of what we know. And then the, these things are changing, which totally makes sense um, from my work with Next. It's so much better. Yeah, it's it's honestly it's so much faster to build this in CI um, because I am using Netlify right now for my application, and when I've used Create React app before, even like a small app, it can still take like a little bit longer in CI to build. Um, with uh, with Vite, it's it's lightning quick. It's it's actually. Is it fast? It is fast. <laughs> um, but it's it's wanted me to look into a little bit more of like other tools that are also out there, like mm-hmm. um SWC or I think I think Vite is Vite. using it's hmm? Vite. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying it now to <laughs> you. <laughs> the listeners are gonna be so confused when he's like Vite, Vit, Vite, Vit. Um but uh, SWC or ES build, and you're using Next.js, which are you using the SWC version of it? I don't know. You have no idea. Okay. I they, went in and I was like, um, I, think, I think it's using SWC right now. And then there's a, um, they have like an alpha for using turbo build. Yes. You set that up in the CLI when you're building, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, like, all of those are things where, like, if you're working on a personal project that is using Next.js and your work is using Next.js, you can, on your personal project, say, oh, this use, like, turbo build. And you start seeing, you're like, oh, man, my CI time is, like, a quarter of the time using uh, turbo build over, you know, the standard SWC. And you're like, it's so much faster. Um, and then, you know, that would be a great thing to bring it to your work once once it's stable, right? Once it's production ready. But being able to say like, hey, I use this on a personal project and it was so much quicker. The only things that I had to do was I had to like fix this and fix that. And then it ran perfectly fine. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's actually part of the, I wanted to learn next, but we've got a new repo that's going to be a fairly big deal at work that is in next. I'm like, oh, this would be ideal. I'm going to get this additional benefit of I've worked with it. So it's going to be a less of a curve to onboard to that repo. Yeah. So when you're, when you're working on a personal project, Andrew, do you build everything from scratch or do you sort of like rely on libraries that are pre-existing? This Besides, a, like Next, obviously, because it's a framework. But like, no, I'm gonna build my own React framework, obviously. Um, yeah, this is this was an interesting conversation you and I had a while back. And when I started building this project, um, you and I actually had an interesting conversation about this. And my original intention was, I want to build everything from scratch. I need to know how everything works, and and I want to be able to do these things. And that conversation, uh, I meant you asked me, you said, well, why? So well, I, I just want to know how the things work. Like I figure that um, uh, it's good to know those things, which it absolutely is. I said, but I guess when it comes down to it, um, anything that's in production, you're going to be using different libraries. You're going to be relying on different things, especially things like authentication. Why would you roll your own when there's people who are very good at this stuff who've done it already? I said, so like, I, I guess that's the kind of thing you do at work. And your comment was, why do you need to know all the basis of it if that you're never going to use it? And that was kind of like a light bulb for me. I'm like, that's a good point. So now I balance a little bit. It's like, okay, I want to learn how this works, but it's not I need to learn how everything works in this specific project. 
Yeah. Yeah. And when I had um, said that, I hope it doesn't come across as I'm like, why do you need to do everything, Mr. Smart Guy? Um, but like for me, I much prefer controlled learning where you can learn a specific technology or tool in isolation in a safe environment where you know everything else that's going on. Um, this is why like when I work on a new project, the first thing I do is make sure that I have my like boilerplate and I deploy it. And the reason for that is I see so many junior developers who get to a point where they introduce a bug into their code. They push it up. They don't realize that it's like breaking. Um, it goes to CI, it breaks. And now they're like, my application isn't working. And I was like, well, what changed? And you're like, I don't know. I just deployed it for the first time. And I was like, that's, that's the wrong attitude because what, at least for me, I, I scaffold it out, I deploy it. And then so that, that way I know if anything else gets introduced from here, it's something that I did that is revertible in order to get back to a working state. So that's great. And then from there, you know, it's one of those like continuous integration, continuous delivery, you know, like push often, make sure that it continues working, that sort of thing. But if I, same thing with like a technology, if I introduce a new technology into my code base that I'm not familiar with, if everything else is working before I do that, then I can use it as a playground to experiment and start to understand like what breaks when I do this, what works if I do it like that and so on and so forth. Can you hear me over here writing notes because I haven't deployed my app yet and I've been working on it for like a month? Yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I see you, um, unlike our listeners right now. <laughs> just like, listening to us. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point because I have done that many times in the past and then you spend days battling with deployment. But you're right, if you have it deployed already and you keep pushing it out there and you break it, it's like, oh, it's that thing I just did. And it goes all the way back to just get and incremental commits and you know you broke it right away rather than you know you broke it after you worked on it for a month yeah and i'm not like i know some people are like very specific on like oh i need to commit like every hour i need to commit like every x amount of time or after so much code change i'm not about that but i am very much like i'm building something it was working before now it's not working and i can very easily pinpoint like at what commit did it work? And then I can look at the different code between those two commits and see like what's changed over time. Usually if it's just me on a project, it's not a big deal. Um, Cause I know I'm the, I'm the one that made the bug, but at work uh, it's obviously very uh, useful as well. Yeah. And uh, it also means that as you're going along, you're setting it up for prod rather than, okay, let's push this all out there. Let's deploy this. Oh, wait, yeah, I got to set up all these different environment variables in order to make it sure it works properly. So the other reason um, that I, like I've seen where people push code to production and you see like hard coded links for like localhost 3003 mm -hmm. or they maybe in local, um, when you're running like Webpack dev server, you can proxy to an API and you don't have to worry about any cores because it's happening at the server level. All of a sudden you push to production and you're like, oh, it's getting a cores error when I'm doing this. Like, why isn't it working? And it's like, well, did it ever work? You know, you start thinking that it's your application code and not configuration. And so that's why I'm like really big on like pushing to prod as early as possible and being able to test if stuff is working mm -hmm. um because yeah you you don't know and i think you know there's that common phrase where it's like oh it works on my machine and 
that should never be the attitude that I feel like you have. Like it, it's a joke. Yeah, it works on my machine, but really if it only works on your machine and it doesn't work in production, it's more reflection on you than it is, you know, like glitch in the system kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally makes sense. Um, so let's talk about the benefits of side projects. Um, obviously for what you're building compared to what I'm building, there's some different things that come out of that. But in general, when a developer takes on a side project, uh, what sort of benefits do they see by doing this? Yeah, I mean, the first one that we talked about as like a goal is like maybe you're wanting to learn a technology or skill, um, hopefully by the end of the project or as you're even partway through it, you've developed those skills that you're interested in doing. So you should come out of it as a better developer. That's, I'd say, the first thing. Absolutely. And for that reason, um, employed or not, it can definitely open up new career opportunities uh, for something like what you're doing. If you were to actually build that out as, um, as a Swift application, I think Swift is the right one for iOS, um, that would be expanding out beyond your kind of your web skills. It's like, oh, now we're going to move into mobile. And it goes to what you're saying. Take something you know and build it as something you don't know. Exactly. Um, and you know, my work we use, we have Android and iOS developers and like, maybe I could build that skill set and be able to do, maybe there's something related to corporate and I could end up doing like a PR um, related to something on iOS because I'm like, oh yeah, in my part-time I've been learning Swift and, you know, just making yourself more employable. Or maybe you just find out you really like that technology and you find a new job that's using that technology. That could happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, now, for the more junior audience, job seekers, that sort of thing, um, in addition, this is something that's going to build your portfolio. And I know that it's a little different when you get a little further on in your career, um, but you're able to show off this portfolio of products. You're able to show off things that you've built and that you can maybe have been maintaining it, which is really important when it's like, don't just build something, be done with it, continue to iterate on it, maintain it, that sort of thing. What's your feeling on that as somebody does interview a lot more advanced uh, people who are more advanced in their careers. Yeah, I think it's um, good for being able to have stuff to add to your portfolio. I will say it obviously comes to a point where I don't know if a portfolio is useful as right. a senior engineer. That, um, that's kind of where my question leads. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't think it's necessarily needed. But what I will say is some of the best people who I have interviewed talk about some of the side projects that they're working on. Um, because it shows that they have passion for stuff that they're doing. There was, uh, there was a gentleman who I had interviewed who had told me about a coffee project that he had where he was able to have real-time data coming from his coffee machine. And as someone who is also into coffee, I was like, that is really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's, it was really interesting listening to him talk about it. But then also his like, you know, as a senior engineer, he had like experience in that. Um, so, but it was, it was clearly that like passion of something that he was interested in. And he's not like, I just develop because it pays the bills. Right. So it's one of those things that, uh, kind of more than the sum of its parts, it's going to give you benefits in other ways. It's maybe not that that developer is going to be like, oh, here, look at my coffee project and like, look at the code and here's the GitHub and that sort of thing. But he can talk about something and then you connect the dots there. Exactly. And it, it was very much like a, it wasn't, I built a coffee project because I like coffee and I needed something for my portfolio. It was like, I'm building this in my free time because I'm passionate about it and because I'm like interested in it and it solves a problem that I have. 
um, or a problem that I've invented for myself. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it, it was a great like conversation starter rather than someone that's like, Hey, like what project are you building? And they're like, I'm building a to-do app. And you're like, why are you building a to-do app? Like, unless if there is, unless if there's a to-do app that is not solving something that you actually have as a problem, um, which I would sometimes question, like, have you just not searched very far for the to-do apps that exist? Mm -hmm. Um, but if you're building the world's 1,000th or 1, probably like 1 billionth to-do app at this point, um, you uh, and, and not to like shame building a to-do app because you, you do have to start somewhere, um, but maybe a to-do app is not as portfolio um, pretty as maybe something else. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, sorry, that was distracting. Um, I had something. Oh. At what point would you suggest that a portfolio and portfolio projects are less useful as the like, here's my portfolio showing off in your career? Um, good question. So I would say maybe at the senior level, um, you know, everyone gets to senior at a much different time. Mm -hmm. I got to it in a couple of years and in some ways, because I had gotten to a senior level so quickly in my career, I don't necessarily think that it was imposter syndrome, but I did feel like I had to explain how I got to a senior role so quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of used a portfolio as a way of explaining why I was a senior after two years of experience. Um, and part of that is also like, you know, different places will call you a different job title, like a senior at one place is not a senior at another. But I used it as a way of being able to justify. And once I had enough years of experience as a senior, I, I don't necessarily have an issue with it. I know my current company, we've had people that have interviewed for senior roles that get down leveled to uh, like intermediate level. And mm -hmm. so some people don't like that. Um, I didn't obviously have that problem, but it, it's one of those things where I've backed up my seniority by the projects that I've worked on, the impact that I've had. And so that is where I've been able to like use side projects to help me that way. Makes sense. Um, now let's talk about some challenges that come with side projects. Um, you're doing what you do at work all day. There's a lot of potential for burnout there. What's your feelings there? Yeah, I think, um, and this is something that I think I saw with a, a lot of people in my career earlier on. Um, is people that are junior oftentimes will spend more hours to try to like make up for their junior niche, um, but then also still trying to do side projects. Mm -hmm. And so it's not uncommon to see people early on in their career trying to put in those like 40 to 60, sometimes upwards of 80 hours, trying to essentially make up for, and, and oftentimes I think what you see not to get like too off topic, um, but people who get in as a junior job, they're like, I'm, this is the best money I've made my entire life. Like, and I'm doing way less than I did in my say like retail job or my, you know, I'm working in a, in fast food, like at McDonald's and, you know, I'm doing less work now than I was before and I'm making way more money. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, the, so they put in these like 80 hours and then they're like, oh, but I also, I should be like polishing my skills and like learning things that I don't know about. Um, you know, maybe we use rails at work and I, I am only working on the front end, but I really want to learn Rails, So I'm going to do a rail side project on the, on the side. And 
very quickly it becomes, I would say, unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say at the same time, I know tons of people who work full-time jobs and still do contracting freelancing on the side and are still happy with it. And mm-hmm. I think it comes into like personal, like work-life balance is exactly that. It's a balance and different people balance at different ends. And so some people might do like 50-50 split. Some people might do like 70-30 or, you know, whatever it ends up being. Um, I, myself, I think I'm someone that leans a little bit more heavy on the work side um, than personal, but that's just because I think of like lack of, uh, lack of like hobbies that are maybe as accessible. Mm-hmm. And, and just being in Canada during the winter, let's be honest. like That's true. There's not a whole lot to do. Um, and I think that comes down to exactly that is you've got to know yourself. You've got to know what you're about and what you can do. And you might feel like, yeah, I can do all these things. I can do all this work. I can put in these extra hours. And it was something I struggled with a little bit at the beginning too, is all of a sudden it felt like less work. We're getting lots done, but it felt like less work compared to where I come from. And I really struggled with it. My lead was really helpful on this. Um, just kind of explain the industry and tell me like, this is, this is what we do. This is how we get things done. You can't just be crushing it all the time because you're going to burn out. And then what good are you? If you're exactly. going to burn out, then, then that's just rough. Um, I've also heard it said uh, by the guys over at Taro, Taro, I think it's Taro, um, that your side project, this can be very much a superpower because it's a little harder to burn out because it's not like you're just coding, you're just doing work for now 12 hours or 14 hours a day, you're doing something different, hopefully that you're passionate about is why it's your side project. And so you can leverage that a little bit to actually do more work and kind of trick your brain into not burning out. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say very early on in my career, I made sometimes my side projects work. Um, Maybe there's something where you're like, oh, I really want to refactor this. And maybe you just don't have time at your work. So you're like, I'll refactor it in my free time. Mm -hmm. I've done that. Um, that is a surefire way. If, yeah. if you make your side project also work, um, yeah. or I guess make work also your side project, like right. that you're definitely gonna burn out. Um, but I, yeah, your side project should be relief. And if it's not, if you've just given yourself more work, mm-hmm. um, then it doesn't have value. And in the same way, when you when you go to work, for the most part, you're trading time for money right? You, you're learning skills, you're trading your time for money, and that's how you get by. Uh, when you are working on a side project, for the most part, you are not getting paid. And so you have to make sure that the amount of value that you're getting out of it is worth the time investment into it. And if you don't feel like you're getting enough out of it, then at that point, that that is where you can start deciding maybe it's not worth doing side projects because I feel competent enough in this technology that it, it's not really worth my time. Yeah, and I think a lot of us as developers, especially early career, um, we have an issue with that balance because we feel like we have to do so much to keep up, but we don't step back and really realize that that time away from the screens actually makes you a better developer long-term. It's giving you longevity as well as it's it's letting you take that break. It's letting your all the, the learning and knowledge kind of sink in and and work its way into 
all the crevices of your brain and all that. This is, this is exactly why my side project is a touch grass simulator in the metaverse. So that that way, when I, (laughs) when I, when I've been at my screen too long, I can go outside in the metaverse and touch grass. You need the, um, I've spoken to people that have the full on VR setup and they actually work all day in VR. They've got their computer, they've got all the things. And that's just, that's mind boggling to me. I don't know. No, no, that's. I don't know. Well, I feel like we need to have a conversation about the metaverse. I think it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have like, it's like they're sitting on like the, um, like a beach. No, I'm like the, oh yeah. The, that was one I've heard as well, but like they're, they're sitting uh, in the enterprise and they've just got like the expanse of space. Uh, and they have like 18 yeah. monitors and I'm like, man, no, no, that's like a boring dystopia. Like <laughs> <laughs> space. Um, yeah, so um, you know, we talked a little bit about burnout, um, but sometimes you know you get to a point in a project, and it's not so much burnout; it's that you've gone through the motions of the easy stuff, and now you're getting into like challenging stuff. And so, how do you how do you personally, Andrew, overcome any sort of like challenges that you're working and sort of like stay motivated? Because it can be kind of demotivating to uh, to experience that. A big one for me is my whole intention with this project specifically was to find those and start running into those um, those more difficult subjects and things that are harder to sort out. Um, what I'm building right now, there, there's some challenges, but it's still, it's stuff I've done before. It's stuff that I kind of understand well enough that I'm really not concerned. I haven't hit that point where I'm like, oh, am I going to ever figure this out? I know it's coming and that's part of what I'm, I'm very much reaching for when we get there as for like the, the motivation, um, it's going to be like that, just sitting down and working on it, kind of thinking about what that end project looks like and, uh, the end result of hopefully something that makes some money. Um, and to be able to have this really great project, I guess in my portfolio, but also something that's live as well. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I find, um, actually part of the thing that makes me demotivated is not having enough time to invest in my side projects. And so one of the things that I do to stay motivated is relying more on either off the shelf sort of solutions. So we, we talked about like, obviously not reinventing the wheel, but on my side project, I'm using Supabase. Um, and so it comes out of the box with authentication. So I can implement authentication very quickly, keep moving. Um, I can create data models and then have a SDK client that gives me all of the like TypeScript and fetching APIs and all that sort of stuff. Similar to, I think, some of the stuff you're doing in Prisma. Yep. I get that on the Superbase side as well. And so I'm able to focus more on the things that are in, in the same way that product does. Um, and me as the end customer, I am able to get to the things that bring value quicker without having to worry on the things that like, are less exciting or just like, oh, I need to make a controller and a service and expose that and configure cores and make sure that, you know, there's a data or like a a access policy in place and all that sort of stuff. Um, I don't have to worry about any of that because it comes for free out of the box. So I can actually focus on building the UI that integrates with that API. And as someone that is more front end oriented, makes way more sense for me to focus my skills on the front end than building an API because I'm not going to be as good or as quick at it because I don't use those skills on a daily basis. So that way I don't get to the part where I'm like, man, I can't move forward until I spend the next couple hours building an API. And like, who cares about that? 
Yeah, and I think that is a perfect way to describe the divide of kind of where your personal projects can fall. It's either I'm doing this personal project to build something that I want to have. That's where you can use more of the libraries, use more of the pre-built things. That's more of a let's build something that people are going to use. That's more of the way that you might go when you're building something at work. Like, let's get it working. Let's get it out there so we can start testing and iterating uh, later on when it's working great and we need to go bigger. Okay, maybe now we can replace that back end. Now we can build, we get back end in here and we can start building out our own back end and using our own database and that sort of thing. The yeah. other side of that divide is very much, I want to learn how to think. So if you were going, oh, I want to learn more back end, obviously you would have then been like, okay, I'm going to build that back end now. And that would have just been the total opposite side of that coin. Exactly. And I think other things that you can do to avoid uh, burnout and staying motivated on your projects is, um, you know, we mentioned using like Trello or something. Maybe if you're wanting to like track features that you want to do, um, being using those tools properly should give you some sort of motivation because you can see how far you've already come on the project. I think it's very easy to lose sight of the milestones that you've accomplished because of the amount of milestones that are yet to come. Yes. Um, and so using like Trello or Jira, Asana, uh, GitHub projects, you know, all of those have tools where you can see like, this is everything that I've accomplished. Um, and I also think having clear very clear milestones of like, mm -hmm. I can, in, in the case of my scorekeeping app, the fact that I was able to record a full game and then have a modal that popped up that said who came in first, second, third, and fourth, that was that was a milestone for me. I was like, great. Um, I, I didn't have any sort of persistence. I literally just had it calculating from in memory. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, like persistence is just like, it's the permanent storage. You just load it into memory when you need it and then offload it when you're done. Um, so as soon as I like accomplished that milestone, I was like, all right, V2 um, is now having persistence. So that's when I decided to hook up Supabase. It wasn't as I was in the middle of trying to get games to work. I didn't want to have like uh, context switching of like, all right, here's the API layer, here's the this. I was able to focus on just the interaction. And then once the interaction was done, I could focus on the, the API layer. And so that's that's the way that I sort of go about uh, staying motivated is constantly having achievable milestones to encourage me to continue working on it. Hmm. And see, I'm, uh, I am a huge proponent of to-do lists and calendars and all sorts of things like that, mostly because I have a terrible short-term memory. But I'm also the kind of person that will add something to a to-do list just to check it off. It's It's very satisfying. It's very gratifying. But you can look back at those things because it's like, oh, maybe I wasn't tracking those things that I need to track it, which in this case is a lot more important than like my daily to-do list. Oh yeah, I also swept the floors. But you can look back at all those things. Look at all the things that I've done that I've accomplished so far. Yeah, it's a bit like gamifying, you know? I've mm -hmm. actually seen advertisements for an app that will uh, let you gamify your life. Like when you do chores, you like check it off in the app and I don't know if you get like, points or if it's like a idle game or something that I, it, it sounds interesting. Uh, I don't know how much I would trust it because I would be the person that's like, I need more points in this game. I'm going to check off everything without doing the actual chores itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think trying to like figure out, I guess it, it, it's what gives you is serotonin the right word that I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah. Like figure out like, you know, what makes your brain happy and then figure out how to, um, or no, it's not serotonin. It's endorphins. 
serotonin is sleep, right? No, serotonin's happy joke. Endorphins, endorphins are like, let's fucking go. Oh, okay. Well, all of that. Just make your make your brain happy. Figure out what like essentially makes you enjoy working on the project and keep having those like happy moments. That's the way that I look at it. Endorphins are pain or stress. I told you. Yeah, that one. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> on that note. Yeah. Join um, Chris and Andrew for our medical podcast as we yeah, know nothing. Uh, two two white guys that don't know what they're talking about. Doesn't, wait, no. Every podcast ever. <laughs> no, that's that. Uh, I think they know everything. But anyways. Okay, cool. So we've gone over side projects. We talked about getting started. We talked about tools that you can use. We've talked about benefits of it, uh, overcoming challenges, especially that all omnipresent burnout. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Is there anything you want to talk about here? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, you know, we, we've talked about this. Uh, what was episode number one, Andrew? Episode one, building in public. Building in public. So like, you know, you're building this like side project. A big thing is, is sharing it with others. And so, I think we've we've both done this. Like you've done a little bit more of building in public, as in um, asking for help in public about your side project. I don't necessarily know if you've open sourced your side project. I don't think so. I I do all the things. Um, you do all the things. I do updates on LinkedIn. I ask for help on Toronto.js. I I mean it's open. It's you can go on my GitHub and see it. Um, whether you're going to get any value out of that or yeah. not, probably not. <laughs> um, but no, I think like putting it out in public on your side projects is great. I, so in, as we've talked about in numerous podcasts, Toronto JS, um, our like public Slack that we use, um, I, we have a, a show and tell channel. And so on the weekend when I had built this app, I was like, Hey, this is what I did over the weekend. And I also at work, um, we have s- something similar to like a show and tell channel. And I had, uh, I had showed off what I had done over the weekend and they're like, oh, that's kind of cool and all that sort of stuff. And so um, I think one, you know, you get that sort of like positive reinforcement of people are like, that's really cool. So you want to like continue working on it. But the other thing is, is, you know, when you start getting stuck, when you maybe, maybe it's not like an application, right? Like maybe you're working on like a package that actually solves a problem. You can start think of think of it like open source right like you're you have it open source and then people can contribute to it and i think that that can also help out um i think some people get into open source a little bit too quickly where it's overwhelming they don't have that like experience to know how to do something in open source but in spite of all of that i think it it's great for making sure that your code is seen um you know the end product is seen uh, people can provide feedback and, you know, it, it's, it's no different than launching a product, you know, get feedback early on. So that way you can make changes without it being like a huge investment in the project. Definitely. Yeah. I think, I think it's huge to build in public and talk about those things and it's putting your name on something else. A lot of people all the time, oh, I don't know what to post on LinkedIn. I don't have anything of value to say. It doesn't have to be a value. Sometimes it's just to promote yourself and talk about the cool things you're doing. And why not? Why not get on there and show off what you're doing? Everyone's always saying, oh, I just need a chance. I wish somebody would give me a chance. I wish I could get noticed. Well, how else are you going to do it? This is a great way to get noticed. Yeah. So I think in, in summary, like really what I'd say is find something that you're passionate about, which as someone who struggles with that, it is far easier to say, find something that you're passionate about. 
Um, for me, it was something small, right? Like it was literally making a scorekeeping app to track card games with my friends. And so I built it. I'm happy with it. That was my side project. Um, I have, but now what's great is I have a vision for it. I've built it. I've gotten feature parity for the most part. Um, but I also have future proof, um, things or not, not future proof, future ideas of where I want to go yeah. because there was things in the app that it didn't have that I wanted. Um, so those are things that I can now build, but I think as soon as you get started, like you will find out if a project is not good for you. Mm -hmm. Um, eventually you'll find your sort of like niche of a project, but it's just starting. It's like just getting in, being able to build, um, getting feedback, having a good time. If you're not having a good time, stop it. Like what's why there's no point making yourself suffer for the point of having a side project. That's like great life advice. Do what makes you happy. If you're not enjoying it, why? Yeah, hopefully that's not about life, but... Uh, Whoa, I uh, dark. <laughs> I'll cut that one. All right, awesome. Let's wrap this up. Um, everyone who's listening, we would love if you would tag us on LinkedIn, talk, us about, talk to us about your side project. If you're listening to this and you've got something going on. Yeah, um, what are you working on? We want to hear about what you're working on. What is... What are you excited about? Maybe the latest library that you use, something that you published on LinkedIn, or maybe you're trying to, you know, start a little little side hustle like Andrew. Yeah, exactly. Tell us what you're doing. Um, tag us in that. We'd love to come and check out what you're building and, and help hype you up. Um, we see all that stuff on LinkedIn and it's super fun. Um, but beyond that, thanks for listening. Um, if you enjoy the podcast, we would love if you leave us a like billion star rating on your pod podcast platform of choice. Uh, leave us a review. Uh, tag us on LinkedIn when you're listening. Um, tell your friends. Thanks. See ya.